Welcome back to Shrinking It Down. I'm Gene Bresson. And I'm Steve Schlossman, and we have today with us... Ellen Broughton. Nice and, to be here. And thank you for being here. And this is really not going to be simple, because today we're going to be talking about autistic spectrum disorder, and it's really, really complicated. Would you say? I, I mean, would say. Now you're the expert. So can you kind of define, like, it used to be called autism. Yes. And now... They and, got, and then there was also Asperger's. And there was also Asperger's, which doesn't quite exist anymore, which is doesn't exist, crazy. But now it's autistic spectrum disorder. Right. Now, why did they, why, why did they kind of change this to be a spectrum disorder? Well, I think in addition to Asperger's, there was also pervasive developmental disorder, which was PDD. So all of these, well, these three diagnoses were all, um, it was tough to actually study them. It wasn't consistent across uh, clinics and across diagnosticians as to what constituted PDD, what constituted Asperger's and autism. And although we might agree what, you know, what each one is very different, when they actually went to study it, they really found that it was too hard to put into these sorts of buckets. So all of these diagnoses are subsumed so under this one autism spectrum. And then within there, we're able to sort of quantify and categorize based on the symptom presentation. So what, what, it's very what, what, complicated. What are the major criteria that put you on the spectrum? So there, there are three things to really think about. One is communication, and it's not just how somebody communicates or what they say. Um, it's also their social communication, their ability to pick up on nonverbal kinds of communication. Um, it's also, what we also find are, is a restricted interests, meaning um, they have d certain things that they sort of perseverate on or what, unusual kinds of behavior. Um, I'm trying to think of a really good example. I know you have one. That's why you brought up the question. All I can talk again, about again, is, again, yeah, again, is again, Pokemon again, again. Yeah. or yeah, a certain video game or dinosaurs. Talk, or you know, but, 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 but what's interesting to me about this is that there's certain things that are common that among like dinosaurs are a big one. Yes. Um, uh, and, and anime. And anime is a big one. So isn't that interesting that, 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 that they pick up on certain common Yes. Themes? Yes, like, it is. And now before we go on though, I have to <laughs> mention that the number one thing that often is associated with autism is, and that's your ability to um, be uh, socially engaged with other people. And so that's kind of the, when people think of autism, they think of someone who is unable to engage appropriately socially with other people. Right, as a function, because they miss social cues, they don't understand social cues. I, I think of somebody I worked with for a while who would come home from school or come and see me after school and would say, I heard a joke at school and everybody laughed. And I would say, tell me the joke. And he would tell me the joke, and then he would say, now tell me why it's funny. And nothing makes a joke not funny, like telling somebody why it's funny. Yeah. But he needed to understand, like he didn't, yes. jokes are all about the spaces in between the words. Right. And, yes. and he had a really hard time with that, <laughs> so he needed somebody to actually tell him when something was funny. Like I, when, I, when I sit down with schools and there's a meeting and we're talking about somebody who's an autism spectrum kid, I'll say, be as concrete as you can and then be even more concrete. Like, mm -hmm. like don't assume, because the things that we pick up through our social nuances, our ability to sort of pick that up, actually that's the main deficit, right? Right, that, right, it is, There's exactly. varying degrees of that yes. deficit, but that's yeah. the main issue. And I, it is the main issue, and I think that one of the things we really need to think about is that that's a huge range, with some uh, children with autism um, exhibiting 
really, really poor ability to connect with someone, which, meaning even poor eye contact. They can't even sustain eye contact. Where in this example, it, it would be a child that's more on the higher functioning end of autism spectrum. Right. So when I took my boards the first time before Asperger's disorder was uh, removed from the nosology, autism was defined, language was actually a, a core function, the, the loss of language. And in fact, you'd have normal language development until around age two, two and a half, and then you would have this rapid mm -hmm. decrease in language. That's no longer the case, right? Right. It is, it, right. It is one of the features, though, that we, we often see, but it's not a defining feature. Exactly. And it was, it used to be the core yes. feature, like that yes. was the thing. So now it's shifted to the core feature is how we understand somebody's ability to connect socially yes. in, again, those kind of spaces in between the nonverbal yes. communications. Yeah. And or, that's where it's more communication than actually language per se. And probably also makes it harder to define, because I can define loss of words. Like I can say, he had this many words, and then when he turned four, he had this many. It's a huge decrease. How do we know that what we're calling a disorder is actually a disorder? Well, I think that's the tough thing, is that it's a really tough disorder to consistently diagnose. It's, the range is so various. You know, it, it, some people say when you've seen one child with autism, you've only seen one child with autism. There's no real consistency across the board in lots of ways. And so getting a good diagnosis is something or a good evaluation in order to get an appropriate diagnosis is really key. But there are also other and, features too. I mean, you know, like intelligence, because, you know, a lot of autistic kids are in the in the low intelligence range, but they don't have to. No, but they don't have to be. Right? It can be higher. Exactly. And then there are other things like, for example, sensitivity to, to, to sensory stimuli, like overreacting to sounds, for example, right. or feelings, or, or pain, feelings, or, or pain, yeah, or sensations, or yeah. or or, or underreacting. Really well. had a hard time with buttons on a shirt. Yeah. Like, and, and then that also got grouped into this the occupational therapy world and was called um, uh, sensory integration. Yeah, yes. sensory integration. Yeah. Disorder. yeah. So, so all these, there's probably a lot of Venn diagrams floating around out there that, that meet these. Can I just ask, so, so we've said how hard it is to say what it is. You've seen one autistic, you've seen one. And so what, what is the gold standard workup? What do you do? Like if you suspect this, how do you know? So a good evaluation is one that's multidisciplinary, particularly if a child is really young. You want to get, uh, want to have a good, observation of the child, whether it's a pediatrician who's doing the evaluation, a psychiatrist, a psychologist. And there are a lot of checklists, a lot of um, sort of quantifiable um, measures that like will allow us, assessments. exactly, yeah. that will allow us to sort of the look chat. at each one of these symptoms. <laughs> what? The chat. Yes, yes, exactly. That well, that's, that's the childhood, what does it stand for? The I actually don't know what the acronym stands for. Neither do I, but it's the one that, that, that's, 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 that's valid and reliable after 18 months. It's Peter okay. Tange's uh, instrument. Okay. And there's also but the, but the, there, are, but there are a bunch of observational yeah. you know, checklists that you actually can look at at certain ages to kind of say they meet all of these different criteria and therefore that they've got enough features to kind of like merit the diagnosis. And there are also um, instruments that you can use with the child. One of the best ones, I guess, um, uh, 
widely used is the ADOS, the Autism Diagnostic Observation Schedule, which allows the evaluator to be sort of uh, interacting with the child and observing how a child responds. So a younger child, they might be blowing bubbles, and the natural response for an 18-month-old or a two-year-old to bubbles is to be excited and to engage and to, to want you to do it more. And kids with autism will have a different sort of response to that sort of thing. As kids get older, that same test would ask a, a, a young adult or a, a teenager about relationships. What makes a good marriage? What would you look for in a partner? And it uses those sorts of social interactions as a way of measuring someone's ability to do that. So, yeah, there's, I, so there's testing and then there's observation. Um, and what about some of the other uh, other other aspects? I mean, so for example, like for for example, you know, um, is the incidence increasing? I mean, we've we've heard more and more about autism in the news and in in society. It, it is there, in fact, an increase in the incidence of autism, or are we just getting better at diagnosing it with all of these assessments? Well, you know. My read of the literature is that it's, it might be a little bit of both, that we're getting better at diagnosing it, at finding it, but it's also maybe on the rise, according to some studies. Yeah, so there's a lot of, I've read the same yeah. thing, and then there's, when people start talking etiology, they'll, they'll talk about, um, you know, look, it's the most, it, to the extent that we're willing to broadly define it, it becomes the most heritable psychiatric syndrome when you look at, like, how much of a certain uh, of a behavior can be attributed to the genetics of the parents. Autism is actually the highest of all of them, um, it, to the extent that we so broadly define it. Some people say that's a yeah. problem the way we've defined right, it. Right, exactly. Yeah. Uh, and, and I think that's how we tried to get away from those sort of categorizing different types of, of autism spectrum is that we just made the category so broad that some sometimes it's very complicated. I, you know, right. there, there's a case to be made for that. Right, and I think we should, um, you know, in the, in the setting of this rap, relatively rapid increase of diagnoses, people get anxious that they're missing a cause, and so it's important that we yes. say to anybody who's watching that this isn't about vaccines. There is just absolutely no evidence. And the, the willingness to sort of attribute it to vaccines, I think has to do with our desire to make something complicated simple but it's dangerous for people not to get the yeah, People look at the environment, okay? Yeah. So they look at the environment and they say vaccines is like, that's been, you know, one that people, but other people talk about, you know, electromagnetic radiation and chemicals and, you know, the stuff we're exposed to in the environment, there's more pollution, there's a lot of, you know, environmental stuff that people are pointing to. But I don't think that anything that I've read has shown that there's an environmental. So, so just, I'm gonna push back. If the incidence is going up, Okay, so conceivably, given that it's not leveling off. Something's you, changing. But you could end up in a place where there's more people in a certain area with autism spectrum disorder than without, which almost by definition removes it from the disorder category. Right. right? So are we sure we're talking about a disorder here? I'm not saying that they're not suffering, but are we willing, I'm, I'm being provocative for just the sake of a conversation. Are we willing to call this a disorder in the same way we talk about major depression? Like is that, or are we saying that this is like a, something different? Like if 60% if of a population someplace, someday, meets the criteria of autism spectrum disorder, are we gonna call that a disorder? Are no, we because say that would be the norm. To, yes, right, right. That, that would be considered. The disorder is something that happens in a statistically significant way that is unusual. Right. But it, but it yeah. also it also means that you can't function 
socially, occupationally, um, recreationally, that, that you have trouble functioning, except in society. I mean, no, that, no, that, that's like, how we define disorders. I'm pushing disorder, back a little disorders. bit. And this is what you were saying about anime and Pokemon. Right. Like, I've spoken at Comic-Cons. They're functioning great. These are a lot of people that we jokingly say, well, you know, this are kids on the spectrum who go to Comic-Con right. a lot. You know, yeah. they actually do very, very well in that. And in fact, the outsider are the folks who don't feel part of that world. So, no, and can I just say too, in terms of the increase in rates, can I just say, looking back on my own high school experience, there are plenty of kids on the spectrum. Yep. They were called Trekkies then. Yeah, yeah. That, that was, so, and, and they mostly like did AV sort of stuff, you know, like, Have you seen they, the, were, they were some of my best friends, by right, the way. Have you seen the documentary Trekkies? No. The, there's a documentary about, about people who love Star Trek, and there's a woman in it who was on the um, paneled in the jury for the Whitewater Trials, and she wore her Star Trek uniform to everyone. So she went in, you know, she said, I'm Captain blah, blah, blah of the Starship Enterprise based here in Little Rock, and she was in the Star Trek club. It seemed like it might meet the criteria, and that was kind of what the documentary was about, but she didn't seem to be suffering at all because she had found people to be with. Yes. So, well, I think that's, but, but that's not necessarily, that doesn't necessarily mean that she didn't have a disorder. That just means, in my opinion, that she has found a way to compensate to and to adapt and to embrace that. And so right. that's sort of, I think, the point um, when I see kids, especially we're talking about high-functioning kids here, too, and I think it's important to, to mention there are some kids who are nonverbal, who have intellectual deficiency, like you are. And who like are aggressive, are, and who are yes, hyperactive, it, yes. and who, who have behavioral problems. We didn't talk about the kids right. that spin, and right. that flap, exactly. and bang their heads, and, yeah. That, yeah. and that yeah. they have yeah. repetitive emotions. So they're kids that are very, that are very disabled, yes. and that really can't function without a lot of assistance. Right. On and the one on, on the on the far end of that. Yes. Side. But I think and if you look at the epidemiologic increase, that's not where the increase. No, is. the increase is coming on the other side. Yeah. 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 So you uh, you were saying something that that the, their ability to adapt doesn't it, mean they don't have a disorder. Exactly. Now it may mean that they don't meet criteria anymore for it. Um, do you know what I mean? Right. Because, because the there is requires, it requires you, to have you to have yes, but that doesn't impairment. mean that it didn't exist in the first place. So um, then and and I'd like to think that we do have good treatments right, for autism for all ends of the spectrum and we've we got great treatments for the kinds of kids that you were just talking yeah. about uh, applied behavioral analysis that really helps uh, kids uh, just behaviorally at the at the very simple level yeah. and then we've got things like social skills training and and um, you know all sorts of adaptive things in in yeah. middle school uh, and high school and college exactly well. and then there's I'm, comorbid stuff we can get yeah. depressed we so, can, so right uh, anxiety is a common condition and that yeah. sometimes can be more debilitating for young adults and adults on the spectrum than the syndrome so, itself so it's not like a this is not like condemning somebody to no, never absolutely getting better. Absolutely not. Because right. there's this hope. So that's what that's yes. what we have. We have to wind down, and it, it's now time in the show for monumental mental health myths. And here's. Let me do it. Okay, I'll do it. Okay, you do it. Um, so this one's for me. Uh, me and Ellen. Sure. Yeah. Um, Ellen. We'll see. It depends on what it is. Kids with autism live in their own world and aren't aware of anything else around them. Well, that's really wrong. Um, and you correct me if I'm wrong, but I mean, I think they're in some ways more aware or hyper aware of things around them 
to the extent that they get overstimulated and their repertoire of adaptability is so limited that they can't help but spin or bang their heads or get totally overloaded in a right. sensory way that they have to get away and that they can't take it because it's just too much because they're so hyper aware. Mm -hmm. And I even say on the higher end of the spectrum, I, I would agree with that. And a lot of times parents will say, you know, my child, even though you're telling me he's, he doesn't communicate well socially or he doesn't understand social nuance, I observe that he is hyper aware of what's going on and maybe can't get away from it or can't transition. He perseverates. Again, there's that word on a certain sort of thing that happens, but that there are certain things in the, in the environment that makes him more... It, it looks like they're in their own world because we're not in their own, in their heads, as it were. But I mean, what seems to be an isolative, you know, uh, kid who's not responding is actually responding internally a lot. Well, that's the, the neurobiological literature suggests that there's a difficulty in filtering. So like right now there's a siren that I can hear, but I can keep talking to you. But right. if you can't not pay attention to that siren, no your next, right, so your next best thing is to just entirely focus in on one thing and cut everything out. Yeah. Um, the, yeah. Like there's not a lot of in between. Yeah. So. Okay. Here's yours. This one's for me. Yep. This one's for you, I should say. It's upside down. Why do you always hand it to me upside down? Are you trying to make me like read backwards and upside down? Yes. Okay. Autism doesn't get better. Well, just, that we just sort of answered that. But it's worth saying again. Yeah, it like, is worth saying yeah. again. I think it's worth saying that there are a lot of treatments for it. And I think the variety of treatments, first of all, getting early diagnosis is key because there are other things that we haven't spoken about, like occupational therapy and speech and language therapy. School accommodations. School accommodations, um, social skills training, and applied behavioral analysis, like I mentioned before, ABA is something that's been found to be quite effective what for. What is that? So applied behavioral analysis really gets at the very um, behavioral level with kids. So with, with kids who are significantly autistic, it may start with, having them using sort of behavioral techniques um, to get them to make better eye contact, for example, or to learn how to filter out that siren in the background. But it's very specific at, at treating one symptom at a time. And that's found to be very effective and actually generalizes to other symptoms as well. But let me, so, let, let me, let me end with a very uh, provocative question. I mean, given that it does get better, and you've mentioned a lot of very sophisticated techniques, applied behavioral analysis, you know, occupational therapy, physical therapy, special education, you know, and the incidence is increasing. How can anybody pay for this? What's, I mean, the services for taking care of one individual with autism are, seem to be so many and so expensive and there's so much effort yeah. that must be put in to help this kid get better you know um are we able to afford this i mean are, are, are parents out there who are watching this able to get these kinds of services do you know i i can only speak for massachusetts but actually kids with the diagnosis of autism spectrum are, are pretty well situated in terms of getting services and it, it's like any it, you know it, it's it's political in some ways that that the uh, parents of kids with autism have been very good at 
um, advocating for them. And so right now, that's a, a good diagnosis to have if you want to get services. And I should mention, this is a little tangential, but as the rates of autism have gone up, the rates of intellectual disability, or what we used to call mental retardation, have gone down. So we think that some of that increase has to do with the fact that we're calling something different than we used to call it. Yeah. And so, um, and, and in some ways, I see parents wanting the diagnosis of autism, especially, especially when we're talking about lower functioning kids yeah. as they're reaching young adulthood, because they're better protected in terms of services for young adults. Well, that's very reassuring. And so it's, it's um, I mean, for now. That could change. Right. I mean, I think the yeah. So it's it's you know in, w this is Massachusetts, a state with a lot of entitlements. Exactly. Or what some people call yes. entitlements. If we could be better as a nation at streamlining the treatments, yes. right? Because yes. ultimately, you'll always save money. If people are working together. Yes. But if the money's coming from fifteen different pots, right. then each pot is going to be losing money. Yeah. Over time. And and I, I have to say too that the earlier the treatment starts, the more effective it is. The more uh, financially that you know, we, more we're going to more we're going to save money. There's yeah, and, a bigger the benefit to it. More Yes, exactly. People get less sick. Yes, so so getting an early diagnosis is is key, and as early as you know, a, just a year old. So it's important. Great. Well, thanks a lot for watching. And if you have any comments or questions or input about um, autistic spectrum disorder, just let us know. Yeah, even if you don't agree, let us let us know. I mean, that's the ones we want to hear, actually so we can have a discussion. And about thanks it. to Ellen for being here and helping us uh, understand autistic spectrum disorder. I'm Gene Bereson. I'm Steve Schlossman. And I'm Ellen Broughton. See you next time. <laughs>